Greetings, Blind Faith Podcast listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Blind Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Craig C. Edgley, and the title of today's episode is After the War Cry, Who Will Go to War? After the War Cry, Who Will Go to War? All right, so there's a couple of scriptures that I want to look at, and all of them are in uh, 1 Samuel in the 17th chapter. And we're going to look at four scriptures. We're going to look at verse 20, verse 26, and then verses 31 and 32. Um, when you get a chance, you could go back and read the entire chapter. It's the story of David and Goliath. It's a familiar passage, uh, but I just want to pull out four verses for the sake of time. And so we're going to look at verse 20. And then we're going to look at verse 26 and then 31 and 32. Starting with verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. He loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he shall defy the army of the living God? Verses 31 and 32. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. May the Lord have a blessing to the readers, the hearers, and the doers of his word. Again, the topic of today's lesson is after the war cry, Who's willing to go to war? Who's willing to go to war? After the war cry, who is willing to go to war? In our text, we notice that the Israelites have assembled and they had set up camp. They drew up battle lines in preparation for war against the Philistines. And at the end of verse 20, we see that they were shouting the war cry, that the priests were, they, the Israelites had assembled, they come together, they set up camp as they would do in traditional war. They drew up battle lines and the Israelite priests were beginning to shout the war cry. And so uh, the first question that comes to mind as we read through this text about David and Goliath is, what is the purpose of the war cry? What's the purpose of the war cry? We we studied through uh, history, U.S. history, Mexican history. Uh, we, we studied through any kind of history textbook that you pick up. Uh, you can see that various armies fighting various wars they would often use a war cry in times of battle. And so what is the purpose of the war cry? Well, 
one purpose of the war cry is to strengthen and sustain the faith of the soldiers. To strengthen and sustain the faith of the soldiers. The other purpose of the war cry is to calm the fears of the soldier. To calm the fears of the soldier. So to, to strengthen and sustain the faith of the soldier. To calm the fear of the soldier. And in the case of the children of Israel, the army of God, it was to remind the Israelites that God was with them even in the time of battle. So uh, the war cry for the Israelite army is very similar to the war cry for any army, and it's to strengthen and encourage the soldiers to calm their fears and to remind them what they're fighting for, right? And in the case of the army of God, is to remind them that they're fighting for God and at the same time, God is fighting for them. <laughs> so, so the war cry in the case of the Israelite army in 1 Samuel 17, the war cry was happening, but it wasn't serving his purpose. Because according to the, the Bible and according to the war cry, we, we've seen the, the war cry when the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho. We've seen how powerful it can be when 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 the army of God cries out to God and 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 especially in a time of war when God is with them and they are fighting for God. And, and we've seen how effective and powerful the war cry could be. But in this particular passage of scripture, they had assembled, they had camped, they had drew up battle lines and they were shouting the war cry and yet they were terrified. <laughs> they were fleeing every time Goliath said something to them. And so what, what, what was making their war cry so ineffective in this instance? We've seen how effective and powerful the war cry can be. We've seen Jehoshaphat. We've seen, uh, 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 Gideon, and we've seen all of these other battlers, and when they get out there and they give the war cry, that uh, the, the enemy gets scared and the enemy starts to run. But in this case, they give the war cry, and then the Israelites, hearing Goliath and seeing Goliath, are terrified, dismayed, and fleeing. Terrified, dismayed, and fleeing. And so one thing I notice is that they're hearing and seeing the giant. They're hearing and seeing this Philistine giant, this Philistine champion, Goliath. And it's one thing when you're in church and, and you have the hymn books and you have on the choir robes and you have on your good church clothes and everything is beautiful and it's Sunday and, 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 and not a care in the world. But it's another thing when you come face to face with the giants of this world, the political giants, the 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 the, the medical giants, the 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 physiological giants, the spiritual giants. When you come face to face and you have to see and hear the giants for yourself, it can be kind of <clears throat> terrifying. And you can become dismayed and afraid, not based on the fact that God has changed 
but based on the fact that your vantage point cannot see God and cannot hear God over the sound and the appearance of the physical giant in front of you. And so Goliath goes out there and takes his stand continuously for 40 days. And, and, and a lot of times when you face giants in this world, that's what happens. Uh, the giant don't go away. Every day we come up against these giants. We have to come up against these giants on our job and these giants in our homes and, and these giants in our children's and these giants in our school and, and these giants in our communities and these giants in our government and, and these giants all over the world. We, we're fighting against these giants who continuously show up on our job and who continuously show up in our churches who continuously show up in our homes and the giants don't stop showing up continuously. Goliath came up and, and stood up and stood against the army of God. Not only did he stand against the army of God, but he had on his worldly armor and he had his worldly weaponry. He, he had his worldly bronze armor and he, and he had this, heavy, massive iron weaponry. And he constantly defied Saul in the Israelite army. And simultaneously in defying Saul and the, Saul and the Israelite army, he constantly defied God. So for 40 days, he kept taking his stand. And, and what does the army of Israel do? What does the children of God do when we are faced with giants in this world? When we are faced with financial giants and political giants and medical giants, and when we're faced with educational giants and economic giants, what do we do when we face off with these giants? Well, the Israelites fleed in great fear. They fled in great fear. Instead of taking a stand against the giant who was taking the stand, the Israelites, they begin to flee. Is that the case with some of us? Are we taking a stand when they take prayers out of school and when they don't allow us to, to form Christian clubs in the schools? Are we taking a stand when, when Greg Abbott um, does whatever he wants to do with the government in Texas? Do we take a stand? Uh, uh, when 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 the government, United States government, does whatever they want to do with the country, do we take a stand against Congress, against uh, uh, the White House, against the, the judicial branch of government? Are we taking a stand against poverty, against uh, uh, um, the doctors and the lawyers and the big wigs and and all those people who have control and power. Are we taking a stand as the church of God, as the Christians, as the believers in God? Are we taking a stand against them? Or are we fleeing from the sound and the appearance of the giants in this world? We are so focused on the giants before us that we are losing sight of the giant standing with us. We can't allow our focus to get so caught up in the giant before us 
that we begin to lose sight of the giant that's standing with us. And God is the giant that's standing with us. But we we are so focused on the size and the appearance and the sound of the giants before us that we lose sight of the giant that's standing right there with us. And 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 so this brings me to kind of to my, my sermon that I preached on New Year's and it picks up right here because what we notice about David and his approach and his perspective towards the Philistine giant, the Philistine champion Goliath, is that David has a different kind of faith. He has a different kind of faith than the faith of the Saul and the Israelite army. Now, Saul and the Israelite army had faith that God could fight their battle. And they had faith that God would fight their battle. But when we see David and his approach to Goliath, he not only had faith that God could fight his battle, and he not only had faith that God would fight his battle, but David had faith that God had already fought the battle. He, he didn't just believe that God could or that God would fight his giants. He believed that God had already fought his giant. David didn't step onto the scene wondering if God could, wondering if God would. But David, he had a different type of faith. And, and, and the type of faith that David had is faith that can only come by means of the Holy Ghost. I heard a preacher tell a story about a $20 bill. And he said he he took the $20 bill out of his pocket and he was talking to a non-believer. And, and he told the non-believer, he said, uh, the non-believer said, why is it that you have so much faith in God? Um, and, and, and so the, the preacher told him, because God is God. And the man said, I don't understand that. And the next day, the preacher was dealing with some health issues. And the neighbor came out and talked to him and he said, I know that I heard that you're having some health issues. Do you still have faith in God? He said, absolutely. Man said, even though you're having health issues? And the preacher said, yeah, because God is still God. And then the next day the neighbor came out, the preacher went up to him and, and he said, uh, the preacher told him, man, you know what? They're getting ready to foreclose on my house and I lost my job. And he, the neighbor said, well, do you still believe in God? And the preacher said, absolutely. And the man say, even though they gonna, you're sick in your body and they're going to foreclose on your house and you lost your job, the man say, absolutely, because God is still God. Surely enough, a couple of weeks go on, a couple of months go on, and the man gets back up on his feet, he, his body gets healed, and uh, he managed to get another job, and he managed to secure his home. And the neighbor said, man, it's a miracle. Wow, this is amazing. Do you? And, and 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 he said, how did this happen? <laughs> and the man said, because God is still God. And so he gives him a demonstration and he takes a $20 bill out of his wallet and he, he, he takes the $20 bill and he puts it on the ground and he stomps on the $20 bill. And he, he shows the neighbor, he says, what is this? And the neighbor says, well, it's a $20 bill. And then he takes it over to a puddle of mud and water and he runs it through the mud and water. And he says, neighbor, what is this? He says, it's a $20 bill. He rips it up, balls it up, crumbles it up, 
and holds it in front of the neighbor. He say, what is it? And the neighbor says, it's still a $20 bill. And he said, just like this $20 bill was a 20, no matter what all it went through, God is still God. No matter what we facing, no matter what hardships and trials and tribulations we go through in life, God is still God. And when we run through the mud, when we're talked about, when we're beat down, and when we're facing the giants of this old world, one thing that we have to hold on to, the most important thing that we have to hold on to, is that in spite of what our giants look like, and in spite of what our giants sound like, God is still God. And the giant with us is always greater than the giant before us. We are the army of the living God. David says we are the army of the living God. The giant with us is greater than the giant before us. He looked at Goliath in a different perspective than, than, than what Saul and the other members of the Israelite army looked at Goliath as. When David saw Goliath, he saw Goliath as a disgrace to God. He saw Goliath as an un uncircumcised Philistinian disgrace. Not only did he see Goliath for what Goliath was, an uncircumcised Philistine that was disgracing the name of God and disgracing the army of God. Wait a minute, I'm going too fast. Let's stop right there. Because when you look at your giants, do you see a mountain that cannot be conquered? Do you see a valley that cannot be triumphed through? Uh, I heard a songwriter say, have you any rivers that seem uncrossable? Have you any mountains you can't seem to tunnel through? Well, when they appear to be unpenetrable mountains and when it appears to be uncrossable rivers, you have to understand that we have a God who specializes in things that appear to be impossible. And so you can't get so caught up in the impossibility of defeating the giant. You got to get caught up in the possibility that rests within God. Okay, now I'm ready. And so not only does David have faith in God's ability to do the impossible because of what he knows about God and because of what he's heard about God, but David also has faith in God's ability to do the impossible because of what he has experienced with God. We often face these giants in this world and we face financial giants and political giants, economic giants, relationship giants, and we face these giants and we lose sight of what God has done already in our lives. David does not lose sight of what God has done already in his lives, and he, he begins to reflect upon the things that God has done already. He says that God rescued me from the paw of the lion, and God rescued me from the paw of the bear. Does anybody have a testimony about God's ability to rescue 
<laughs> you see, it's so quick, so quickly, so quickly we lose sight of our testimony in times of trial and in times of tribulation. We forget about our testimony, about what God has already done in our lives. We forget about the fact that God has already brought me through bacterial meningitis and God has already brought me through being held up at gunpoint and God has already brought me through sickness and disease and God has already brought me through an, an, a, a pandemic and God has already brought me through the war on Iraq and the war, all kind of wars and rumors of wars. And God has already brought our church through. He's already brought our people through segregation and slavery. He's already brought our people from a mighty long way. But if we lose sight of where God has brought us from, then when we look at the giants that we face in our present, the giant seems like it's unconquerable. The mountain seems like it's impenetrable. The, the river seems like it's uncrossable. But don't forget where God has brought you from because God has brought us from a mighty long way. He has kept us. He has sustained us. He brought our grandparents and he brought our parents and he's bringing us and God has never failed us. And if we focus so much on the giant and we lose the giant before us and we lose sight of the giant standing in us and the giant standing with us, then we'll always think about how uncrossable the river is. We'll always think about how impenetrable the mountain is. We'll always think about how unconquerable the giant is. But in all actuality, what seems to be in, uncrossable and impenetrable and, and, and what seems to be intangible and what seems to, to, to be invisible, if we serve God and we put our faith in God, is there anything that's too hard for God? There is nothing that's impossible when we put our faith in God. I want to point this out because this is the case in a lot of our situations and our, our times when we get ready to face giants. And we have faith that God can conquer the giant. We have faith that God can penetrate the mountain. We have faith that God can bring us across the river. What I want you to notice in the story of David and Goliath is that people begin to talk. And in your life, people will begin to talk. Eliel comes with his family perspective. He's David's older brother, and he knows what's best for David. He comes from a family perspective, and he says, you conceited and wicked-hearted little runt, little brother of mine. You are not really here to fight. You just want to watch the battle. And, and and so what was Eliab's intention? Just from an outsider perspective, looking at the situation, it appears that Eliab is projecting his fears, or at least attempting to project his fears onto David. Because Eliab is, is scolding David saying that you're only here because you want to watch the fight and you're conceited and you're wicked hearted and you should go back and tend to the sheep. But in all actuality, Eliab has been there for 40 days and Eliab ain't stepped foot towards fighting Goliath. And so he's beginning to project his fears onto David. 
And, and I like what David does. <laughs> David turns away from Eliab. Whenever you catch yourself in the midst of people who try to discourage your faith because they don't have faith in God, they want to put a damper on your faith. Have you ever seen anybody who don't have faith in God? And because they don't have faith in God, they want to put a damper on your faith in God. Have you ever said to anybody, sat next to anybody in church and you begin to shout and you begin to give God your best praise and they look at you like you crazy, look at you like something is wrong with you, look at you like you need to sit down? Well, turn away from those people when they try to set you down. Turn away from those people when they try to discourage your faith in God because you and only you know what God has done for you. And when you know that God has rescued you from the paw of the lion, and you know that God has rescued you from the paw of the bear, when you know that God has brought you out of the hospital room, when you know that God has brought you out of the courtroom, when you know that God has brought you out of the jailhouse, when you know that God has kept you and protected you and brought you from a mighty long way, can't nobody tell me what God can do. Because I know from experience, I, 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 I've, I've been on my deathbed. I've been held up at gunpoint. I know what God can do. And can't nobody tell me what God can and can't do for me because I, I've seen it for myself. I've heard it through the word, but I've seen it for myself. And I know what God can do. And then... David approaches Saul and Saul wants to give him the military perspective. And the military perspective that, that, that Saul has is that, number one, David is too young. And number two, David is too inexperienced. You know what? That sounds a lot like what we face when we go to the banks, they say your credit is too new and your credit is too inexperienced. You know, that's a lot what it sounds like when we go to get a new job. Oftentimes they'll say you are too new and you're too inexperienced. You know, that's what people often will tell you when you get into a good relationship that God has called you for, uh, called you into. They'll say that you're, the relationship is too new and you, you don't have enough experience. They'll, that's what people will tell you when you get to school. They will say you're too new and too inexperienced. That's what people are going to tell you when you want to go to the college of your choice. They're going to tell you you're too new and too inexperienced. But understand that while that may be the facts, it might be facts that I'm too weak. It might be facts that I'm too new. It might be facts that I'm too inexperienced. But you can't count out my X factor. Touch your neighbor and say, don't count out my X factor. Well, well what is the X factor? The X factor is my ace in the hole. <laughs> it, 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 have you ever played the spades card game and happen to have the high joker in your hand? Whenever you play the spades card game and you happen to have the high joker in your hand, it does not matter what happens over the course of the game. You are guaranteed to have at least 
that one book. And, and, and so David understands that because he has God in, on his side, because the Holy Ghost is on the inside of him, and because he's standing with the giant on the outside, and he has the giant of the Holy Ghost on the inside, David realizes that it doesn't matter what Goliath is talking about. It doesn't matter how inexperienced I am. It doesn't matter how young I am. It doesn't matter how weak I am. It doesn't matter what, uh, what credentials I don't have. It doesn't matter what political status I have. As long as I got God on my side, I have the X factor. I have the ace in the hole. I have the high joker in the deck in the game of spades because I know that with God, I have everything that I need to accomplish everything that God wants me to accomplish. And it doesn't matter what I'm lacking because in God, I lack nothing. And so no matter what I'm lacking in my humanity, in God, I lack nothing because God is all sufficient and God is all powerful and God is omnipotent and God is omnipresent and God is God. He is Yahweh. I am that I am the all sufficient God. And so whatever I need is in God. Whatever I lack is in God. Whatever I desire, it's in God. And all I got to do is get access to God by faith. When I put my faith in God, I can access the power of God. The scripture tells us that when we put our faith in God, God is pleased. I look through the scriptures and I see that Jesus distinguishes faithless people from little faith people from great faith people. He distinguishes faithless people from little faith people from great faith people. And, and whenever God sees great faith people, you it's, a, it's amazing how you can make Jesus get happy. Did you look through the scriptures? When God saw faithless people, he would tell them, you faithless and perverse people. When God saw little faith people, he would say, oh, ye of little faith, how long do I have to be with you? But when he saw great faith people, he would get all happy by himself. And he would say, I have not seen so great a faith in all of Israel. I have not seen so great a faith. And so our faith and by faith, we please God. When we are faithless, we cannot please God. But when we put our faith in God, we please God. We touch the heart of God. And when we touch the, not only by faith do we touch the heart of God, but by faith, we have access to the power of God. And so by faith, we can move mountains. By faith, we can cross uncrossable rivers. By faith, we can speak to the mulberry tree, the 80-foot-tall mulberry tree. The, and we can tell the mulberry tree to get up and go jump in the lake. And the mulberry tree has to get up and go jump in the lake. By faith, we can speak to the, the fruitless fig tree. And we can tell the fruitless fig tree to wither up and die. And the fruitless fig tree will begin to wither up and die instantaneously by faith. But not any kind of faith. We can't go with our faith in our humanity. We cannot put our faith in money. We cannot put our faith in religious traditions, but the faith that moves mountains is only faith that comes by the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. It is a pure faith. It is an impenetrable faith. It's a faith like the $20 bill. When you run it through the fire, it cannot be burned. And when you run it through the fire, it comes out like pure gold. 
It's a faith that cannot be drowned. When you put it under water, it's still faith. When you run it through the fire, it's still faith. When you take the Hebrew boys and put them through the fire, their faith is still fireproof. When you take uh, uh, um, the, the Israelite children and march them around the walls of Jericho, their faith will bring down the walls of Jericho. It's a faith that cannot be conquered. It's a faith that cannot be broken. It's a faith that cannot be penetrated. It's a faith that cannot be beaten. It's a faith that cannot be killed. And even Abel, when he was slain by Cain, his brother, his faith spoke out from his ground, from his grave. His faith, his faith still came forth. Because the faith that comes from the Holy Ghost is not a faith that can be extinguished. It's not a faith that the world can beat out of you. It's not a faith that the world can steal from you. It's a faith that goes beyond the beatings and the, and the killings and the, 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 the misery that the world tries to bring us through. We saw our ancestors hold on to their faith in God in the midst of slavery, in the midst of segregation, and in the midst of systemic racism that we still face today. We see our faith standing strong in the face of all kind of adversity, trials, and tribulations. And so faith that comes from the Holy Ghost is a faith that will not let you sit back while the giants of this world defy the army of the living God, defy God right in the front of us. We have political systems that defy God right in the face of us. We have economic systems that are defying God right in the face of us. We have relationship systems that are defying God. We have uh, 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 entertainment uh, systems that are defying God right in the face of us. And will we keep fleeing? Will we keep running from the face of these giants that are standing against us and defying God right in the front of us? Or is our faith in God so strong from the word that we've heard and from the experiences that we've had with God, is our faith in God so fireproof that we are willing to go forth and fight these giants that stand before us in this world? David says, when I go, I know that the Lord will be with me. And the giant that is with me is greater than the giant before me. So David takes up his shepherd's staff and he picks up his shepherd's bag. He takes his slingshot and he takes five smooth stones. I like the preachers that, that give symbolism to the stones. They say maybe one stone represents the stone of prayer. And one stone represents the stone of the preached word. And one stone represents the stone of praise. And one stone represents the stone of prophetic and, and the prophetic utterings. And one stone and we can give all kinds of meanings to the stones, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing that I want to take away from the stones and from the slingshot is that David is not going to fight with the weapons of this world. David has decided that the weapons of this world are carnal, but that the weapons that we must use as Christians, the weapons that we must use are spiritual and mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We have to use the weapons. Yeah, I'm starting to get a bias here, and that's why I came in, because 
The weapons that the Christian must use have to be activated by the power of the Holy Ghost. The weapons of our warfare cannot be fleshly. But the approach that we must take must have God at the center of our approach. Our weapons that we use are prayer. Our weapons that we use are fasting. God says that some stuff only can come out by prayer and fasting. Our weapons must be grounded and rooted in the Holy Ghost, that the power that we demonstrate is not power that comes from within man, but it will demonstrate the power that comes from within God. He could not use the king's carnal weaponry. Saul wanted him to put on his bronze armor and to take his iron weaponry, but David said, I cannot use the weapons that men use. I cannot use the weapons of, of men warfare. I have to use the weapons of God's warfare. And so David picks up five smooth stones. And then David begins to have a war cry that is quite different from the war cry that you saw Saul and the Israelite army having in the beginning. Because when David starts off his war cry, he says that you come against me with your weapons. And and, and he says, he, he speaks to the giant. See, sometimes you got to speak to your giant. When you give out your war cry, go ahead and speak to your giant. Speak to cancer. Speak to financial hardship. Speak to economic hardship. Speak to the hardship you're facing on your job. Speak to the hardship you're facing with your children. Speak to the hardship you're facing in your marriage. Speak to those giants and say, you come against me with all of your weapons with all of your power, with all of your schemes, with all of your trickery, but I come in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. I come with the Holy Ghost weaponry, the Holy Ghost, and greater is he that is on the inside of me than he, than anything I could face in this world. And then David begins to say, the battle is not mine, it belongs to God. He say, this battle is not mine, it belongs to God. And the giant that's before me is not greater than the giant that's with me. God will deliver you into my hands on this day. And God will put the world on notice that there is a God in Israel. Do you know that God wants to put the world on notice that there is a God on your job? There is a God in your community. There is a God in your household. There is a God in the hospital room. There is a God in the jailhouse. There is a God in the courtroom. There is a God, and no matter where you go, God is still God. And God will put the world on notice. Whenever you are will whenever you're willing to let God work through you to demonstrate who he is, God will put the world on notice that there is a God in your house. There is a God that is above all other gods. There is a God who is omnipotent. There is a God. He, who is this God? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. There is a God who will fight your battle if you stand still and put your faith and your trust in God. And when God gets through working out your situation, the world will be put on notice that there is a God in your house. There is a God on your job. There is a God in the church. There is a God in this country. There is a God in this state that is above all other gods, that is above and bigger and better than any giant that we could ever face. 
and folk begin to wonder, <laughs> whose son is that? Who is that? Who is that young man? Uh, they, they didn't. David was a nobody, uh, and, and and by allowing God to work through him to defeat the giant overnight, he became a hashtag Instagram sensation. Overnight, he became a celebrity. Overnight, he became uh, known all around the world as the little boy, the little shepherd boy who left the sheep, who put his faith in God, who stood up against the giant Philistine, and God performed a miracle through him. His name is David. His name will be remembered all throughout the rest of scripture and all throughout the rest of eternity because he put his faith in God and God made him a celebrity overnight. God worked a miracle through this little boy, this little too young boy, this little too inexperienced boy, this little uh, 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 know-it-all boy that everybody was talking about, that everybody doubted, that everybody uh, didn't understand. And put yourself in David's shoes and stand up against God. Stand up against anybody, any giant that is defying God. We have to recognize and realize that the giant with us is greater than the giant before us. We have to recognize and realize that the giant with us is greater than the giant before us. After the war cry, Who's ready to go to war? May the Lord bless you and may he keep you as my prayer.